Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. If you would, please turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Sometimes there are topics that turn out to be more controversial than first expected. All of us can probably think of somebody, a public figure perhaps, that said something thinking that it was no big deal and was completely surprised by the public backlash. Uh, More than one person has made a public statement and gone to bed and woken up to found that they had broken the Twitterverse. They woke up the next day to find out that social media had melted down based off of some comments they had made. Now, hopefully that hasn't happened to any of you. Uh, There are Bible doctrines uh, that have also experienced their fair share of controversy, and ones that we wouldn't expect, perhaps. Uh, In our passage today, in Mark's Gospel, we come upon a topic that would seem to be a great unifier, and it certainly can be, but actually has been the source of much division in church history. Today we come upon the institution of the Lord's Supper. The topic of communion, as we also call it, has been badly misunderstood at some points. It has sparked incredible division at other times. And in reaction to that, I would say today often, uh, it gets neglected. People don't think maybe much about it at all. And I don't think that's the, the right direction either. Uh, So, in light of that, today, as we begin in Mark 14, uh, we're going to be reading in verses 22 down through 25, I want to spend several weeks going over these few verses. I think there's a lot here for us to consider, and there's a lot here for us to benefit from if we take the time and slow down and read these verses. Just this week, I told Brendan that I don't often preach on one verse Uh, but I make myself out to be a liar. Uh, We're going to mostly spend time in one verse today, but I want to read all four of these verses, starting in Mark 14, verse 22 to 25. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for sending your Son. You are our Heavenly Father, and you have given that which is most precious to you. You have sent your Son to come and give us life. Lord, I pray that you would give us joy this morning that you would satisfy us in yourself and in your Son by your Holy Spirit. So do that, I pray, as we look into this. Give us understanding, Lord. Help us to understand some statements that are hard to understand. And I pray that you would give us joy in yourself in that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to focus mainly on verse 22 today. We're going to consider what Jesus means when he says that... Uh, take this is my body. And so as we do that, I think the main call for us today in this passage here is to partake of Christ, our bread, by faith. We'll consider that the bread is Christ's body, 
And then we will consider Christ as our bread. Let's consider that the bread is Christ's body. Last week we saw the disciples preparing for the Passover meal with Jesus. He sends them off to find a man carrying a water jar, and that man will lead them to the place where they're to prepare for the Passover. And they do that. Uh, We spent some time considering how Christ himself is our Passover lamb, and how he is and was the fulfillment of the Passover event itself, leading to our spiritual exodus out of sin. Today we don't leave the topic of the Passover, uh, because this meal is taking place during that Passover meal. Uh, It's during the Passover meal that Jesus institutes what we have come to call the Lord's Supper. Uh, Sometimes this event is called the Last Supper, and sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper, sometimes it's called Communion. Uh, It's called the Last Supper because this is the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples before his crucifixion. From this meal that Jesus says elsewhere that he was eager to eat it with them, from this meal until the crucifixion, Jesus eats nothing. He doesn't eat again, we see in the Gospels, until after he's raised from the dead. We see that he eats fish, and presume he eats more than that. Uh, But that's why we call it the Last Supper. It's the last meal that Jesus has before his crucifixion. We also call it the Lord's Supper. And that's because in this meal, we see that Jesus uh, is calling his disciples uh, to continue this as an ongoing practice. He institutes a meal for his disciples to get together and celebrate. That's why we call it the, the Lord's Supper. It's what he instituted. And in our passage, uh, he starts this eating of the bread and drinking of the cup, and uh, he, he has it as something his disciples should do repeatedly. And that's why we take communion and why we take it as often as we do, trying to follow the directions of the Lord here. As I mentioned earlier, I want to consider the meaning of the bread in the Lord's Supper. I could spend multiple weeks just considering the bread, and I'll spend one, maybe two weeks on it. Uh, Here, uh, we see that this verse takes place. It's during the Passover meal. We see what happens. Uh, I want to read the verse again, verse 22. It says, As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take This is my body. So Jesus, in this verse, he takes a loaf of bread. It's unleavened, of course, because it's Passover. He then blesses it. Then he breaks it. Then he distributes it. He gives it to his disciples around the table. Uh, In doing that, Jesus is assuming the position of the Father in the Passover meal. This is what the Father or the patriarch would do during the Passover meal. And he, as their teacher... Together, he's called his disciples his family. He is uh, assuming that position. He is leading this celebration of the Passover meal. And he's breaking the bread here for them. But he says something that no other Jewish father or patriarch ever said. Uh, He tells them as he's giving them the bread, this is my body. And then he commands them to take it. They're to receive the bread, which is his body. It's easy for us to get familiar with these words, and then for them to lose their significance. Uh, But this isn't a normal kind of statement to make. I mean, think about it. When you go through a food line, and somebody gives you some food, they don't say, here's some lasagna, it's me. Right? This is a strange kind of statement that Jesus makes. We get familiar with it, but it wasn't always easily received in Jesus' day. We'll see that 
elsewhere. Uh, it's a striking statement that he makes when he says that his bread that he's giving out is his body. And it's a fair question for us to ask, in what sense? In what sense is the bread his body? I think that's an innocent enough question. Now, certainly the answer couldn't be too complicated, right? Well, church history would say otherwise. Uh, gallons of, of ink have been poured out trying to answer the question, what Jesus means here. And tragically, so much blood has also been spilled fighting over this matter. This is a topic that was a matter of great debate as the Protestant branches broke off of the Catholic Church in the 1500s. Uh, and it's not just a Catholic-Protestant division. Even within the Protestant movements, the Lord's Supper became a point of division, ironically. Uh, the Swiss and German Protestants agreed in about 14 and a half major points of articles, but for this one statement, this is my body. What does that mean? There was division over it. Uh, the matter of how we understand the words of Jesus here was a key dividing issue. So what do these words mean? Well, I believe that when Jesus says, this is my body, he is speaking symbolically. I think the bread is a symbol for his body. I believe that he means to say that this bread that's in his hands and the fact of them eating it is actually supposed to communicate something about who Jesus is and how we're supposed to receive him. The bread and eating the bread are metaphors for Christ and our faith in Christ. I want to tease that out more in our second point. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, I want to say what Jesus doesn't mean here. Uh, I do not believe that Jesus is saying here that the bread becomes his body in a literal, physical sense. Perhaps you've heard the $10 word, transubstantiation. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Transubstantiation, that's at least six syllables, I believe. Uh, it's a word that incorrectly tries to capture what Jesus means here. Uh, in the Catholic understanding of transubstantiation, uh, the belief is that the substance of the bread is transformed into the body of Christ. Transformed, substance, transubstantiation. I would have called it transubstification, but nobody asked me. And I wasn't born, so it doesn't matter. Uh, eventually, they had to rely on Aristotle's philosophy to try to describe how that takes place. Uh, but I really believe that's a fundamental mistake. I don't believe that Jesus is saying here that the bread in his hands is literally his body, nor that when he says these words, it somehow gets transformed into being his body in a literal sense. Instead, I think he is speaking symbolically. So you could say that Jesus' actual body is holding his symbolic body in his hands. Now, why spend time on this? Why drag you through learning a word like transubstantiation? Why is this important? I think it's important because what you understand communion to be determines how you take it, and it determines what you think is happening when you take it. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. What you understand communion to be determines how you take it, and it determines 
what you think is happening when you take it. And that really makes a difference. If you believe that the body of Christ is literally physically present in the bread, then you're likely to, along with that, believe that just simply eating it will bless you. If you believe that Christ is physically present in the bread, then the act of eating the bread will, I believe, likely trump even your own heart condition. Uh, For Roman Catholicism, there's an understanding that there is grace simply in eating the bread. Uh, There are reasons beyond transubstantiation that go along with that. Uh, But I believe that understanding, if you go down that route, it makes the condition of your heart less important than simply taking the bread and drinking the cup. I don't think that's a good direction to take. I think that tends to move Christianity away from the heart and towards the externals. And as I've already said, I think there's a better biblical answer to the question. What does Jesus mean when he says, this is my body? Under a symbolic reading of Jesus' statement, this is my body, the focus is still on Christ, but it's also on our response to Christ. It's also on how we take Christ. Faith is essential in communion. I believe that the blessing that comes in communion comes directly through faith in Christ as we're obedient to his command. He has called us to partake of it, and so we do that in obedience. And he does bless us in that. But it's not simply through just taking the bread. Uh, It is uh, through faith that we are blessed in Christ. I believe that in that way, it parallels baptism. I believe that both are symbols that point to Christ and that point to something that is already true in us. Uh, by, uh, I think, as we understand this, that's, that's why our leadership as the church here, we only baptize those who make a credible profession of personal faith in Christ. And it's why we ask that only those who have personally believed in Christ take communion. By conviction, we don't encourage children too young to understand the gospel to be baptized. And we don't encourage children too young to understand the gospel to take communion. The reason is because we see faith as essential in the blessing of these ordinances. And we don't see that as a matter of being saved or not. I know that there's some disagreement even here on that. We don't see it as a matter of whether you're saved or not. uh, But that's how we understand these ordinances to be faithfully practiced. Now, I mentioned already that I want to explore the theme of Christ as our bread a little further here, uh, especially how that's tied to faith. So I want to do that now as we turn to our second point and consider Christ is our bread. Now, as we look at the gospel accounts, we're going to take a little step away from Mark's account here. Uh, as we look at the gospel accounts, we find that the event of the Lord's Supper is not alone. I think we actually find Uh, a few events, and especially a key event in the Gospels that has a lot of overlap with this event. Uh, It's an account that is recorded in all four Gospels. It's a miracle. Uh, It is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Every one of the four Gospels includes the feeding of the 5,000. About a year ago to this day, uh, I was preaching here out of this passage. I'm going to turn back to Mark chapter 6. On uh, verses 30 to 44, we see Jesus in this miracle. Uh, I want to focus on a couple details of this passage. Uh, I'll just summarize some of the story here. There's a huge crowd that's come to listen to Jesus. 
And they've gone out into the wilderness following Jesus to hear his teaching. And he has compassion on them. Uh, And they're so eager to hear Jesus' teaching that they stay and they stay and they stay and they outstay their food. And so now you've got thousands of people in the wilderness with no food. What are they going to do? And Jesus performs the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 to feed them. I want to zero in on verse 41 of Mark chapter 6. Uh, as he sits, has the people sit down, verse 41, it says, And taking the, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. That's part of that verse. Uh, many have pointed to the parallels here. Notice Jesus takes the bread and the fish here. He says a blessing. He breaks them. And then he distributes them. Now, that's, that's actually the exact same order as in the Lord's Supper. Uh, many believe that the gospel writers have intentionally drawn out these details to make an implicit connection to the Lord's Supper. The feeding of the 5,000 and the Lord's Supper. Uh, meant to be read together in that way. Uh, further, people have even connected Jesus feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness with God feeding his people Israel in the wilderness with manna. Now, perhaps you feel like that's a stretch. Uh, Maybe you feel like people are just thinking too hard. Uh, I thought that way. Uh, I thought people were just seeing things that weren't there until I read John's account on the matter. I think John uh, shows us the teaching of Jesus where he himself makes the connection between the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the topic of communion as well as the feeding of the people of Israel with manna. So I want to read a little bit out of John chapter 6. And hang with me, it's a, it will be here for a few minutes. It's a little bit longer of a passage. But I want you to listen as I read out of John 6. This, in John 6 here, Jesus has it's the same account. Jesus feeds the 5,000. But in John's account, he gives us something that the other gospel writers don't tell us. Uh, Jesus leaves, and then there's a crossing of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walks on the water. And then we read about where some of the the Jews who were there, who ate the bread, who have a conversation with Jesus afterwards. And so we see a little more of the teaching of Jesus in John's account here. I'll I'll read that uh, in verse 22. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. Pardon me, I'll jump down to verse 25 to start. John chapter 6. Listen for faith and the wilderness and those kinds of themes here. John 6, 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the bread that perishes, but for the bread that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus Answer them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And they said to him, then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the world, for the life of the world, is my flesh. We'll stop there for now. This passage includes... One of the great I am statements from Jesus. I am the bread of life, he says. He says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Notice first the connection here with Jesus and the manna from heaven. After the exodus, God sustained his people in the wilderness. He brought them over the Red Sea miraculously. He brought them into the wilderness where there wasn't any food. And there wasn't any water. And apart from God, they would have died there. But God provided food from heaven for them. God fed them every single day with fresh food. Every morning. Except for Fridays, he gave them two portions so they could rest on Saturday. Jesus points to that event and that provision to teach about himself. That that account in the Old Testament, Jesus says, is actually teaching about him. He tells us that he is the bread that comes down from heaven. So Jesus feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness, and he goes on to tell them that, in fact, he is the the manna from heaven that's come down. Jesus is the true manna. In fact, I think Jesus is even teaching here that he's the better manna. In verse 49, uh, he points out that they ate that bread and died, but he has a bread that uh, if you eat, you will never die. The bread sustained the lives, the, the manna that we read about, It sustained the lives of the Israelite people for as long as bread can sustain your life, and no longer. The bread that Jesus gives will give life that lasts forever. Now that is a better miracle. So do you see the connection here between the feeding of the children of Israel in the wilderness and the feeding of the 5,000? I I don't think we're reading into it. I believe that's there. We see that in the teaching of Jesus. But further... I think there is also a connection in this miracle to the Lord's Supper. Before I noted how uh, this miraculous feeding, there's an overlap with the Lord's Supper and that there's the taking of the bread, blessing it, breaking it, giving it. Uh, But I believe that Jesus gives us another connection if we keep reading in John's Gospel. I want to read just a few more verses in John chapter 6, verse 52 to 58. Listen to how Jesus connects this to the Lord's Supper. 
Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father who, uh, because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things when he was in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Jesus demands that if someone will live forever, they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Oh, that's offensive. And that's strange, right? I've heard somebody once say, we were singing, there's a fountain filled with blood, and he said, why do Christians sing about blood? Isn't that weird? You know, it is kind of weird. That's, that's not a normal thing. And Jesus goes beyond all of us in these kinds of statements. He says that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That kind of statement stung every sensibility of Jesus' listeners. I think it even stung the sensibilities of his disciples. Remember, he says, they said, all these people have left. And he says, well, are you going to leave also? I'm paraphrasing here. And they say, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. They can't leave him. But I, I think this kind of a statement shook them up. So I think here, again, this is still in the context of the feeding of the 5,000. Here's another connection with the Lord's Supper. And something we should consider here. We must eat of Christ and drink of him. But how? That's the question. How do we do that? Well, if we look through John chapter 6, it's pretty clear. We do it by faith. We feed and drink by faith. The concept of eating the bread that comes down from heaven, of eating Christ's flesh, is directly tied to faith in John 6. It's by faith that one partakes of Christ that one eats of the bread of Christ. It's through faith that someone eats the manna that comes down from heaven and lives forever. It is by faith in Jesus, the Son of God. So in light of what we've just seen here, I want three final applications. I want to look at these, and the last one I'll tie in for Father's Day, lest you think I preached on Mother's Day and didn't say anything to fathers. Uh, I think the first application we have here the call is to partake of Christ by faith. That's an old word, partake. It just means uh, to take of Christ, to have a share in Christ. Uh, if you have not yet come to trust in Christ by faith alone, then let this truth drive you to him. Food will only keep us alive as long as food is able to. And then food can't do any more for us. Like the children of Israel, food kept them alive until it didn't. Christ, and Christ alone, is our bread. He saves us from the eternal punishment that our sins deserve. He gives us eternal life so that even though we may die physically, we will live forever. The second death will not be able to touch us. And we enter into that when we believe in Christ. This morning, your heart's not at peace with Christ. I invite you to, to come to him 
make peace. Eat of the bread of Christ by faith. Second application for us here, just to add one word to the last thing I said, that is to partake of Christ by faith daily. Now we begin our walk with Christ through faith. And we continue our walk with Christ every single day by faith. We're like Abraham who set out on a journey and he didn't see the city with his eyes. In fact, he never arrived at at a city, but he was looking for a city whose builder and maker, I believe is the two words, whose founder is God. He walked every day of his life by faith and so do we. The people of Israel, if we look at the parallel there, they ate manna every day. We should seek to satisfy our souls with Christ every single day. If you are in Christ, then there's not a single day that you're alive that you're separate from Christ. But sometimes we try to live like it. Sometimes we think that we can live a day on our own strength and according to our own wisdom. But we were made to live with Christ and to Christ every day of our lives. He is the manna from God to us, so we should seek him daily. I don't know about you, but I'm not really satisfied with trying to eat once every couple months. Maybe even a couple times a month. I tend to like to make eating a daily habit. And we should seek communion with Christ on a daily basis. No, we don't necessarily gather together and eat the bread of communion and drink the cup together in an official sense, but we do take communion with Christ through fellowship with him, spending time with him in prayer and in the word, uh, while you're working, acknowledging God in your heart. Uh, We do hold communion with Christ every day. We can and we should. See to it that you go to him daily. And fathers, I want to encourage you this morning, as our last application here, make sure that you're feasting on Christ for the good of your children. Whether your children are younger or older, you may have children that are older than me. Uh, Whether they're younger or old, make sure that you are filling your soul with fellowship with Christ. It's important to satisfy your own soul with Christ if you want to help your kids love Christ as well. Uh, It makes me think of an emergency protocol for airplanes. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, On an airplane, they tell you that in the event of an emergency, and those little airbag things come down, you know, the the little breathers, they say, fasten your own air breather first and then go on and and help others. Now, on first glance, that seems kind of callous to me. Uh, Wouldn't you want to seek out others? But I think the idea is if your air is taken care of and you're going to be okay, then you're going to be able to help more people. Not going to be able to help a lot of people if you're out of commission. I want to argue, dads, that you need the Lord Jesus Christ even more than you need oxygen. If you want your children to love Christ, and if you want to point them to Christ, then don't neglect your own relationship with him. Now, thankfully, it's not an either-or. It doesn't have to be either love Christ or help your children love Christ. Uh, But the point I want to make is don't neglect your own relationship with the Lord. It is out of your satisfaction in Christ that you're going to be able to help your children love the Lord, and to serve them well. And and it's out of that that you're going to be able to model a godly relationship with God to your children. And in doing that, you're going to show them what Christ is worth to you. That's an important statement to make to them. We should all seek to commune with Christ in a daily manner. 
even as we do gather and celebrate communion together as his people. Now, I've only begun to scratch the surface here. Uh, I'm not sure when we come back. In the second week of June, I'll be back to preach again. We'll be in Michigan for a little bit. Uh, I don't know if I'll preach on the blood of the new covenant or continue on this theme yet, so I'll pray about that and we'll see where we're at. But we're going to continue considering the Lord's Supper here. Uh, And I want to ask Elizabeth to come and play and the men to prepare for communion now as we go to prayer together.